good words. It's 1975, Cincinnati, Ohio. My wife and I had moved there 16 months before, no, a year before. And I had started seminary at Wesley Theo uh, at United Theological Seminary in Dayton. I'd finished two years of seminary at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. as a United Methodist student minister. We lived in a parsonage right on the boundary of the Bull Run Battlefield out at, uh, out at Manassas, Virginia. Our address was, was Sudley, Virginia. That church had a historical tradition that went back to the Civil War. The old ones used to tell stories that the old ones there when I was there heard from the old ones in the generational pass down of how that place had been a hospital in both battles. And the old days in the 1910s and 20s when those old guys, those old veterans would come to that old church, they'd pull back the carpet to show the blood-stained floor to memorialize that tragedy that they were a part of. And I got to be minister of that church for two years, and it was very, very informative for me and a blessing for me. I went to commuted every day into Wesley Theological Seminary, not every day, but three times a week. Um, before the all, all the... Uh, confusion and congestion of D.C. It was back sort of pastoral back then, but today it's just paved paradise and put up a parking lot kind of thing. So I, with, while I was there, I learned about systematic theology and I had church history and uh, New Testament and Old Testament, got involved with, uh, as I said, church history, and I made a change in my philosophy and my theology. I left uh, mainline Christianity and became something else. I became post-Christian or liberal Christian, but I couldn't stay as a Methodist any longer. So I found this little church in Cincinnati. They hired me on a whim. Joy and I and Amos went on a whim and traveled all the way, U.S. 50, from Washington, D.C. to Cincinnati, Ohio, the back roads, and established residency there. Started in this new seminary. I had about two years left to do. Most of the academic work was behind me, so what I was facing was the clinical work working in a hospital as a chaplain, working in a small group with my fellow students, getting counseling, one-on-one -on -one counseling with a therapist. And my first interview with my therapist, Grover Criswell, a great guy, he did a lot for me over the two years I worked with him. He was set, I was sitting in his office, and he, he, I introduced myself, and he had some information on me. He said, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your growing up. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, when I was born, I nearly killed my mother. Without a beat, he said, did you have a knife or a gun? <laughs> so what I reiterated to him was the story I'd heard as a 26-year-old all my life about my origin, that I'd come into the world trying to kill my mother. Well, the facts, the words were true, but the words were not valid. What had happened, mother had a very tough pregnancy as we flesh out the story. And the doctor who was treating her, he took her into the hospital. He had a party that night. Sorry, Gil, bad, bad, bad doctor story here. He had a party that night, and he told the nurses to just delay mother's delivery as she could, and he'd be there when he could get there. So the story that my family came up with, which it was truth or not, I never asked him, the truth was that he didn't get there till the next morning 
and he was not in the best shape as possible after a country club party, and mother was a, a, a victim of some pretty, pretty rough surgical stuff. So I got to go home in a couple of days with my, my dad's mother. Mama got to stay in the hospital another two weeks. But my informing story was I tried to kill my mother when I was born. And that stayed me, stayed with me till this morning, to this day. So when I was thinking this week, what am I going to talk about? I want to talk about the power of words and how they influence us and how they can mold and, and, and make our lives a, a blessing or a curse. My own story is my own story. I've had to work with it and live with it and, and do the best I can with it. I'm not here to make that a grand display and psychological flashing. What I'm trying to say is to get into the idea, consider this, for 500 years since John Calvin and the early Protestants tried to develop something outside the Catholic traditions of how life was, what human character was, what the nature of God was, what Jesus' job was, they come up with this story they were all worthless born into sin, in need of redemption, and blood is the only answer. Now what does that do to a culture? I know what my killing my mom did for me. I know what guilt looks like. I live it every day of my life. I have to push it behind me and say, no, Doc, it's not your job. You didn't do anything. You don't have any responsibility. Your job is just to react as a loving person. It's not about you. It's about something else that's going on in society. The power of words, finding the right words. We can describe a scene. We can describe, uh, tell our story. But the meaning we have behind those stories, mother and daddy were as loving as they possibly could be to me all my life. I never wanted for anything. Sometimes it was a no for a long time before I maybe had it. Or daddy found out a way that I could earn it myself, like getting me my first job when I was 13 to make my own money because he didn't have money for a teenage boy to be in high school and do things. He gave me a road to make it happen for myself. So I'm not saying that mother's understanding of how she and I initially related had anything to do with how they treated me. I'm not saying that. But it's the wounding that she took from that experience of the pain she had to endure to have, to have me that, that, that impacted her and made her a lesser person and sure had to have me give a whole lot of <laughs> homework for me to work on. So here we are in 2019. We're in a political world that's in chaos. There's not much certainty anymore. Before 2016, I think we had a false security about how things were. I think the transition in politics in 2016 and for the last two or three years have demonstrated us to the core of our being especially the people in this room who are sensitive to social justice issues, are sensitive to concerns about peace and about justice and our, and our general welfare, are aware that there's not much certain in this world, that one person or a few people can change the whole context of life to move it into a, a place of jeopardy and of danger very quickly. We should have known that. But we're living it now day in and day out more, more often than, than we want to be. Finding the right words. You and I are miracles of life, born into a, into a creative uh, uh, 
world that through our actions and through our relationship we can make bright and beautiful and blessed. I'm standing here with someone else's heart in my chest. The technology that made all that possible has been going on for a long, long time. 200 years ago, if someone went to the doctor for some kind of problem, it's a good chance that some of the greatest doctors in America, Benjamin Rush being one of them, one of our great leaders and one of our teachers, the founders of church schools in America, was a universalist. He's the one that got John Adams and, and T Thomas Jefferson again after their breakup over politics. Benjamin, if we'd gone to Benjamin Rush, the great doctor in Philadelphia, whose portrait's on the American Philosophical Society's seal uh, society because he literally is considered the father of psychology, he would bleed us. He would put leeches on us and to get the bad humors out because that was the best technology they had at that time. 200 years later, Doak Mansfield gets a 32-year-old black woman's heart where she had died in surgery and not recovered from surgery for thyroid uh, tumor. So what, 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 what are you battling about, Doak? You're telling stories. I'm telling stories because the stories we tell one another matter. And the story that we have been we in this country has to have to deal with is the, let me get this right. We are born into a story as human beings. Whether we say we're post-Christian, whether we say we're agnostic, whether we say we're atheists, whether we say we're humanists, whether we say we're Christians, I don't care what you say you are. The culture that you're born into has a mindset, has a, has a soulful understanding of what humanity is about. And it, the, the given in our nature is it's flawed. There's a problem. We can't work it out by ourselves. I don't think that's true. I think that's a misinterpretation of life and of the great story that is ours. Matthew Fox calls, says it's not about the orig original sin. It's about the original blessing. We are. We are. Imagine that. We've got, we, we, we have muscles. We have the greatest uh, tool in the world, the opposing thumb. We make language. We communicate. We create tools. We create metal, metal urging. We create uh, uh, all that we need to replace a heart, to do the math, to do the chemistry, to do the... We find finding the right words, finding the good words. The right words are we are blessed. The good words are we are blessed to bless. Our job is not to just accept this great discovery that we're okay and we're wonderful. It's to share it, expand it, give it back out to the world. And I've watched people in this congregation, I've watched people in every congregation I've served, serve much better, do much better ministry than I ever hoped to do by their simple acts of humanity and compassion and kindness because they got outside of their own stuff and they reached out and they were real and authentic one to another of the people. Daddy died at 51 and I was in Cincinnati. I came home, I did his funeral, went through all that trauma, got back, had a meeting in Cincinnati with my two other ministerial colleagues we met every once in a while. And I don't think they really knew what was going on. They may have. As I remember it, they didn't. It was sort of a quick thing. So I'm sitting in the lobby of St. John's Unitarian Church in Clifton over by the university. Uh, my two colleagues were there. David Sammons was the minister of that church. 
So we were sitting around, we you know, had coffee and started talking. And I said, well, I just got back from Tennessee. And my dad died last week and had to go down for the funeral. Without a moment, it was like an instantaneous, instantaneous reflex. Dave slapped me on my leg and said, shit, that's awful, dope. Best pastoral care I've ever had. <laughs> it wasn't some explanation. He just smacked me. Damn, dope. That's shit. And that sort of woke me up and gave me the blessing I need. You are like that. We are like that when we're authentically ourselves. So I don't want to tell you what God said. I don't even want to tell you what Jesus said. I want you to know in your heart what you feel is, is the right words for our lives. It's a yes beyond a no. Divisions will not do anything but kill us. Solidarity will make us a healthy planet again someday as we move day in and day out in our small choices to do the best we can with the situation. Peg and I are both dealing with health issues, our personal and in our larger family. And it's hard. It's hard because it keeps, it's sort of a daily grind of this is how it's going to be. This is what's here. All of you in this room, many of you in this room know that. All of us in this room will. So what do we do? What, do we, what, what are the fine words? It's okay? No, I'm here. And life is good. And let's bless one another as we can from all that we do day in and day out. Thinking, feeling, expressing. I'm a Facebook junkie. And I got in a, I got in a contest. Some of y'all are aware of this. I, I, I got a troll, and I know him. He's in my hometown. So he doesn't argue with me. He just calls me a dumbass. <laughs> and see, the secret to it, that's the hurtest, that's the greatest hurt at all. Because he's gotten back to my weak spot because I do maybe think I am a dumbass. So someone calling you out that way, he won't, do, he won't argue with me. He just <coughs> gets, to my, gets to my sixth grade or fifth grade or third grade mentality and grabs me where he shouldn't. Finding the right words, finding the good words. The good words are yes, I hope so, it's going to be all right, I care, love you, let's do it together, let's do it together, let's do it together, because that's what life is about, doing it together. Thank you. We can sing this song.